Pod. 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 Welcome back to another episode of Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. The Washington Huskies keep winning. They're eleven and zero. They're eight and zero in on. conference play. They're gunning Hold for their first twelve and zero regular season ever. Let's let's not bury the lead here. What is that? A new microphone? No. Am I am I just am I too hot? Am I turned up no, too much? You here? sound good. You sound glorious. You sound as good as Washington's record looks. <laughs> just the record, though, not the you know. You don't want to look at those Arizona and Stanford, Arizona State and Stanford games. It's still holding them back. <laughs> it's. I will always be amused at the ways that people find to diminish or pick at nits in which a season where Washington, there are not many years where teams have the kind of record that Washington has, let alone years in which Washington has had this kind of record. And the idea that it's underwhelming is hilarious to me. It will, it will always remain hilarious to me. I think it's, um, it's born out of the fact that there are still somehow five power five teams undefeated 12 weeks in, which is, is kind of nuts. Um, so, you know, when you come to evaluate the differences between those five and one of them's in the Pac-12, regardless of the fact that the Pac-12 is actually really good this year, I don't know. It's just kind of it's kind of natural. You're, you're going to pick, especially since there's a top four, right? Like the top four is the actual playoff. So then you're kind of deciding it's not just who's the worst of the undefeateds. It's who. Who doesn't deserve to be in the field right now if you had to choose just among the undefeateds? So it's, I it's get all it, weird. But I also, I mean, you look at rankings going into last weekend's game. There's one of those five teams that has four victories over teams that were ranked entering last weekend's games. There's one. It's Washington. Washington has, by that, their own metric, the most impressive win. So the whole... I guess what I resent is the idea that this is somehow an actual sort of statistical or empirical process when it's not. It's just how they've arranged them for a variety of reasons, very few of them having to do with how the games themselves have actually looked. I don't believe that the wins at Arizona State or the wins against Arizona State and Stanford are what's holding Washington back. I think Washington could have smoked those teams and they'd still be at number five, waiting to see if they become number four this week. If Boo Corrigan gets out there and says, uh, and, and is able to talk about uh, that there wasn't some sort of extenuating big play circumstance that, that excused the margin of victory for Florida State. You've uh, you've probably noticed we are coming to you on a Tuesday this week uh, due to the Thanksgiving holiday and, and some travels. Um, so we are we we don't have the rankings analysis, but rather it's it's more of a a rankings preview. Um, haven't actually haven't even listened to uh, recording this early Monday morning. Have not haven't heard from Kalen DeBoer and and assistance yet, but uh, plenty from from Saturday to look back on. Danny, I I I'm curious to know from your perspective, is it to the point where when Oregon State gets the ball there midway through the fourth quarter? Are you are you nervous that they're going to go down and score and win the game, or is it to the point where you just assume Washington's defense is going to come up with something at some point to to save the game because it's just kind of what they do now? No, I was it was excruciating. That was <laughs> I was that was that was as that was as nervous as any game this season. Oregon's different because I was there, and because of the sort of the that was a crazy game. Um, this was, this was more of a cliffhanger. This was the most excruciating game that, that I think for me watching at home, um, this was, this was the toughest. I did not feel great about it on that last possession. And as Oregon state sat there and chewed clock, I was, I was getting really, really nervous. <laughs> it was just, it was brutal to watch. You were, uh, you were worried about an Atticus Sappington coffin nail. <laughs> You watch how they just grabbed the ball and held on to it in the second half. Washington's offense didn't play great, but they didn't have the ball. <laughs> it was just brutal. But then you look at Washington's the fourth quarter points allowed this season. It's remarkable. They've been really, really good late. They've been really good in the second half. 
but still watching it against Oregon State and maybe that's some of the respect. Damian Martinez is an unbelievable running back. He's that, so good. That dude is. He's, it's not just that he's big; he's got such great balance and his ability to cut back. And he and and he's a load, and he's all of two hundred and twenty five, two hundred and thirty pounds. He hit the uh, he hit the B button there a couple times. All of a sudden, hits the spin. It was I. I wouldn't say that Washington tackled that poorly. <laughs> I I really there've been games where I've watched. I'm not going to say they tackled well, but there was also like he was doing some stuff. Yeah, that that's sort of the thing with with the tackling. Um, if Damian Martinez plays a game where nobody, where he doesn't make anybody miss, and he's just brought down on the first tackle uh, every time, like let me know. You know, like if you're if you're an Oregon State fan, you'd be like, "Oh my God, they tackled Damian Martinez on the first try every time." That never happens. So, a really good running back is going to make some defenders miss at some point. Yeah. Did the weather? Was it awful the whole game? It was hard it to was, tell. It was, it was clearly awful in the first half. Clearly horrendous in the first half. Was it that bad in the second half too? So, for my selfish purposes, I'm watching it just absolute downpour the whole game, thinking. God, if it could stop raining by about five minutes left in the fourth quarter, um, that'd be really nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's when media are allowed on the sideline. Um, it it had and it did. It it's it had stopped. It stopped basically. Um, maybe maybe for Oregon State's last possession, but definitely by the time Washington got the ball back, like Penix threw that third and three to Odunze with with no rain. It was not raining at that point, so. They got the weather break that they that they needed. That was another thing because just for a little behind the scenes thing, probably nobody else cares about. But you know, you're allowed on the field at certain stadiums. Like at Husky Stadium, it's the last eight minutes of the game. Some stadiums, it's the last five minutes. Some don't let you on at all. Some, it's like, eh, just go down there and they'll probably let you on. Um, but obviously, to do that, you know, you got to navigate. You got it's either an elevator ride or you got to take a bunch of stairs down. You got to maybe go through the crowd. At Oregon State, there's weird, different instruction. You got to like go. You have to exit the stadium and then come back in up a ramp, and so like that takes time, right? And so you're looking for you want that that three and a half minute TV timeout. I mean, that's really what you're hoping for. But you know, there's five minutes on the clock. That's in the middle of Oregon State's last possession, so they're dry. You know, they've they've got the ball. They're running plays, and I'm like, hmm, do I want to do I want to chance it that that they're going to, you know, is, is Washington going to get a stop here? What if the stop never comes? I'm not going to get down there. You know, like a minute, it's going to be, I'm going to be up against it for interviews. So I took off as soon as, um, as soon as they got the stop and there was somehow no TV timeout, Danny TV timeouts every two minutes in this game, especially through the second half commercials nonstop. So it was, uh, it got a little hairy there. It was, it was a really well-played game. And that was, it was, and there were some standout performances. Jabbar Muhammad uh, was an absolute stud. Romo Dunze continues, and I love the fact that on the third down they threw it. I, I, I think that's what you do in that situation. It, you go, you, you make sure that you give your best players the chance to make the play there. I loved that call, the fact that it was paid off the way it was. That is an incredible combination. It's We've talked a lot about over the course of the season, could Romo Dunze be the best receiver in Huskies history? And I don't know, but certainly Penix, Penix Odunze is so is right up there with Pickett and Williams, like just in terms of the the productivity of a pair is pretty incredible to watch. Um and in awful awful throwing conditions it was pretty remarkable what they were able to do they they did have a a uh, receiver screen to jeremy bernard on the other side of the formation that looked like it probably was set up i think you know they they had body on body so it would have from oregon state's perspective it just it would have come down to somebody making a play you know somebody defeating a block and and getting through there and, and bringing down a receiver who's pretty good after the catch so Looked like that was set up decently well, but you know, I watched the replay. Penix did not even look over there. Yeah, it was just oh, single coverage on Rome. Yep, easy. And that you know, what... that was his first touchdown. That was his second touchdown. Um, even Penix even said after the game, which I, I don't think he's right about this. He said, "I think everywhere and everyone in the stadium knew where I was going with the ball." I think 
people were surprised they threw it. Um, yes. N- not surprised, you know, once they motioned Dylan Johnson out of the backfield to go, you know, line up to the, to the right to set up the screen. But um, I, he, he said he was surprised they didn't have safety help there. And I think that's going to be, that's kind of the, uh, the epitaph on, on Romo Dunze's career is where was the safety help? What are you, what are you doing? This one's a little more understandable than the Oregon game. And, and I guess you could even say there is something to be said for creating a situation where they're going to throw it strategically. Um, I still think that you don't want, like you don't want that matchup, that matchup has been, but if you wanted to, if you wanted to get someone to throw it, there's a certain amount of, Hey, the worst thing in the world here, the worst result here is not them throwing the ball because they've still got to throw it and catch it and, and complete it. That said, we've seen what happens with that matchup and that Rome doesn't have to push off to get separation, that they've got an understanding of how to throw. It's even a, I mean, I guess you'd call it, it is a back shoulder fade, but the way that they run it is different. The way that Rome and and Penix execute that play is different than I've normally seen, than I've seen most receiver quarterbacks run a back shoulder fade. It's, um, it's more of a clothesline throw than mm-hmm. your typical fade. It's, it's not a lob. And and Rome is not, he's not jumping up to get it so much as he's turning. Um, it's really hard to defend because of that. It's not, it's not a jump ball. It is he's turning and he doesn't, because of that, like he's making the space with his body mechanics as as much as he is. And it, it makes it harder. It just makes it harder for the DB to that is already a difficult play for a DB. He doesn't need to push off to get separation. He turns his, his pivot is kind of what gives him room. It's really the mechanics of it are unbelievable. How about that route on his first touchdown? (laughs) Poor DB man. Well, no, I'm not going to say that poor DB. I don't know what you do when you've got a guy going and making you think you have to respect the cross there. You have to respect that. He's going to come on a slant. And then all of a sudden, it's now he's going to the corner of the end zone. And oh, by the way, like that ball is perfectly placed. That is against that coverage. I, I really don't know what the DB can do differently there because you you have to respect the possibility that that is a slant. You can't you can't cheat. And then the ball is just placed in a spot where you can't really recover to get to it. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty devastating. Um, you can add this game to the list of, I mean, just obvious moments in a second half that you can point to and say that was their chance to step on them and they didn't do it. And some of that is that Oregon State's a really good team, right? Like they're not when when they turn the ball over and now they're they got their back against the wall and, and they got to they got to go back on defense with the opponent having the ball at their their own 22 yard line. You know they're not just going to give in. They're they're going to buckle up. They got to. They're confident in their defense too. So, you know they deserve some credit for sure. But you know if you're Washington, it really felt like um, they were in control at halftime. For sure, and up twelve. Yeah, you're feeling good. Oregon State was going to need a touchdown coming out of the locker room to kind of stay in it. Not only did they not get that, but they turned it over deep in their own end. I mean they're you know Washington scores there. They're up nineteen. And, you know, what's your confidence level that Oregon State could even score 19 more points, let alone hold Washington off the scoreboard for the whole half, which is what they did. So, um, you know, they just just sat on the ball. They just sat on the ball. It was so frustrating. It's the worst. It's the worst. There's there's nothing. It is. You just feel neutered as a football team when the other team just grinds out clock like that, which credit to them, man, they did it. Yeah. It, that was, um, I think the what second longest drive by time by an opponent in UW history. Nine fifty six. They had the ball on one, one drive for a third of the second half, one third consumed by one drive. Um, yeah. And it was every bit of physical. That's the one thing Washington has survived some very physical games. And the fact that their defense has, has been able to hang in there and it's, 
they've done it too frequently to be able to say, oh, they they're fortunate or they the fourth down stops that they've made. Yeah, they had a guy at Stanford drop the ball. And yes, there was a missed kick by Oregon that would have sent the the game to overtime. But Washington's also been in those situations enough that you can tell that this is a team that certainly doesn't blink. And they make kind of fight in every blade of grass or every every rubber particle of field turf. They've been in those situations that they, they hang in there. It's a, it's a tough defense. I'm, I'm, it's not a dominant defense, but it's a tough defense. They're really tough. Uh, getting Thule back makes an enormous difference, as I believe the telecast noted. Yeah, although, man, Herb Street would not shut up about pitch count. <laughs> it's just like, for the love of God, man, stop saying pitch count. Stop saying pitch count. He's on a bit of a pitch count. God. Uh, Herbie kind of drives me nuts, though. Yeah, uh, I saw his dog at halftime in the Oh, really? What kind of dog he got? He's got a golden retriever. Wait, did he bring the dog with him from Virginia? Isn't that where they started the day? He brings him with him everywhere. Yeah, he... he uh, he tweets pictures of him on the on the jet, um, flying between stops because he does he does uh, does Amazon uh, Thursday night football and then does I, I game mean, day and does a game usually somewhere that game day isn't. So he's a lot of a lot of private jet travel and he's got Ben. Ben is looks like an older fella, uh, golden retriever makes all the trips with him. Did you um did you notice that the the clock stopped at seventeen seconds? Uh, after Penix's last kneel down for some reason. And the stadium clock did too. Um, and it should have just kept, you know, obviously it should have kept running. Nobody did anything, but it just stopped. So the official actually had to announce, like get on his mic and announce the game is over, which I don't know why. I just thought that was kind of funny. I, I did not. No, I was too busy running around my block in Manhattan when that happened. Where is that? Is that how you celebrated? Yeah, just did a just did a, a quick lap around the block here down to Riverside Park. There's a Joan of Arc statue down at the end of our street. Yeah, uh, toasting after the excruciating end to it. Um, yeah, I felt I felt a moment of relief. So I was not actually watching. It was after the completion to Odunze. I started doing a little bit of a trot and then went I downstairs. S- I saw uh, former Washington offensive lineman Dane Crane posted a video of his wife uh, recording him watching that that last third down and he, taking think, in the and sights him, and uh, sounds of research similarly he might not have ran around the block but he was he was excited <laughs> it's pretty I sounded can, like a great crowd there it was it's a cool stadium um glad i got to see it once before they maybe never play them again um it has an escalator inside which nice. is yeah, which is just cool, you know. Escalator in a football stadium—you don't see that every day. Um, it's it, they reduce the capacity quite a bit. It's only about thirty-five thousand now, but they do a good job spreading the seats out. Like if you, we were talking about it in the press box, like just looking around the stadium, you're like, wow, like this is only thirty-five thousand, really. But then you know, if you look across the way, it's like, okay, yeah, I guess there there really aren't that many seats in the upper deck across from the press box. There's not very many seats at all in the North end zone. So like, I think if you reduce capacity by, by having few seats in the end zone, that does a really good job of kind of making the stadium feel a little bit bigger. So um, it's, yeah, it's really nice. Um, good concessions. I'll say, I mean, they've got Husky stadium absolutely dominated in the concession department. Um, you know, the media parking is not as convenient as it used to be. So that's that's the most important thing, obviously. Um, what the thing everyone cares about the most. Coming out of the game, a couple questions that I had. How much to worry about the middle of Washington's defense? Uh, Tupatala getting banged up during the week, uh, being being a scratch. Uh, still no sign of of Asa Turner. How how much of a worry is the middle? And Goforth went down for a little bit. I know he came back in. Um, but there was, I, I started to have some fear about like, are we going to have enough dudes? Are we going to need some more guys to be able to, to, to stop the beefs? Yeah. I mean, you saw Drew Fowler out there. Um, mm-hmm. and he's somebody they trust and he's, you, you've seen him kind of throughout the season. That's, um, it's kind of quietly becoming a concern. I know DeBoer mentioned that maybe they hoped they could get Tupatala back this week. 
uh, again, we're we're recording this before the Monday press conference, so I I feel like I should note like, well, but you know, maybe they'll give updates on these guys, but the updates aren't uh, aren't typically super helpful, so I I don't think we're missing a ton. Um, yeah, I go for it. Didn't look serious. I think did he come back in or maybe yes, he, he did. yeah yeah he did. so um look it, I think you feel great about Carson Bruner and Edifuan Ulafosio. I mean Bruner look you know every time he gets an extended opportunity right he looks like a stud um played really well made a huge difference so I think you feel good about those two as long as they're healthy but yeah I mean they can't play every snap and now you're talking about you've got Drew Fowler but beyond that I mean is a Devin Bryant true true freshman who I'm I assume they're trying to redshirt um but yeah it's it's getting a little dicey if those guys are especially I mean you're coming up probably talking about another really physical game against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game like you you'd like to have uh you'd like to have those guys at at full strength um especially considering how banged up they are at safety um the middle yeah going up the middle is they're fortunate to have Thule back that uh that helps a lot. I mean, if they were missing him, you know, I just I don't know if they win this game without Tuli Latuli Nasanoa. I think yeah. he makes that big of a difference. Yeah, he's a he's a huge force um in the middle. Then the other we saw Jalen McMillan and they threw a couple passes to him. I don't want to scrutinize one coming out of one break too much. And both passes clearly really, really difficult conditions uh for receptions. He's Deal didn't look right. Um, is there any? Wh- what did you see in the game? Yeah, I. It felt like, um, and DeBoer kind of said afterward that maybe some of the routes that McMillan really specializes in were not. Uh, Panics didn't have as much confidence in because of the conditions, mm-hmm. and that it's maybe just easier to throw it outside where the the windows aren't as tight and. You know, you're not as worried about you know, guys having to make really tight window catches in the rain and all this stuff. I mean, he played. I was surprised to look on PFF and see he played 32 or 34 snaps. Um, so a, a pretty significant amount. DeBoers continues to say that, you know, he thinks he's going to be a big part of things and that he can see he's getting stronger. And um, so I honestly, I, like, I didn't get a chance to watch him super closely, like making cuts and coming out of his breaks. Um, the fact that he played and got through a whole game is maybe encouraging um but obviously you know he looked his way a couple times and he couldn't haul it in and um it, yeah like not not exactly ideal conditions for a guy oh. like trying to build confidence on his knee injury you know it's in this awful. like super slick field sliding around and not only that but both of those throw like those were certainly the one on the sideline the, the one on the sideline would have been an extraordinary catch um and then the other one was was congested like it was a it was a tight window that is it was not <laughs> That was about the worst sort of the opposite of easing someone into it was the degree of difficulty on those catches. I think one that that I would keep an eye on is Dylan Johnson. Um, He came out for a while was looked like he was trying to, you know, get himself going again on the sideline did come back in. I mean, he was on the field for their last uh, that he obviously he ran the ball on first and second down, but then he was still out there for the third down play. Um, was going to be blocking if they they'd gone to Bernard there on the right side. So, um, he but he was you know clearly working through something, and it might just be the case he like he's that kind of player. He's that kind of running back. He's he's physical. He's bruising. He's always going to be dinged up to some degree, and it's just a matter of getting him ready to go for Saturday. Um, but that's um. Of of all those guys, I'd say he's the one who probably takes away the most if you don't have him. I mean, just because of like the level that he's gotten himself to and that he is this reliable hundred yard back. Um, he's gonna be a thousand yard back as long as he's healthy and you know can finish the season and everything. So um that's I, I think that would be that would be a huge blow to their offense to not have him. And again, I'm not, you know, I don't want to talk like that's imminent or anything. We haven't even heard from DeBoer on Monday. And so we'll, we'll see, but I I just could tell, I mean, late in that game, I think he was really, really gutting through it to, to continue playing and carry the ball there on that last series. I feel bad, Christian. I feel like I've handcuffed you by, by having us record on Monday. And the reason is because I'm traveling to Yosemite, uh, be on leaving on Tuesday. You're you're not you're not at your full array of of information 
over the intake of the week. We've thrown off the rhythm. I apologize. The thing is, the information isn't really information. <laughs> no, it's not. It, it, although, it, although, don't undersell it because you actually have a really good read on DeBoer. You get a very good sense and pass it along of who is probably not a candidate to play. You get you, you've got the, your your reading of DeBoer has been extremely accurate this season uh, in terms of yeah okay we're that's that guy's that guy's farther off. Um, you do as much as you can with limited information. The information we're missing is just like Grubb's explanation of why they went for it on a fourth down or didn't, or why they did you know ran a certain play or didn't. Or but we kind of got most of that post game. Yeah, the other thing that makes it tough to read about this, how indicative that game was of what we're going to see from Washington going forward, is that. Any of the criticisms of, oh, Washington's offense didn't look so great, or Michael Penix had eight straight incompletions in the first half, was, yeah, but man, they're never going to play in a game like that again this season. They're not going to play uh, the the way what Oregon State's defense plays and in a monsoon condition. It's just an, an outlier. Like, of what, oh, what are you going to do differently? Well, we're not going to play in the rainiest weather possible. Like, that's, that's, that's not going to happen again. Certainly not going to happen in a Pac 12 championship game and not going to happen in a bowl game. It, it makes it tough to be too critical of anything or even worried about it. You just want to survive a game like that. And Washington, Washington did, and it was close. But there's also, you pointed it out, what Oregon State's won 16 of their last 17 at home. That's a wild stat. Yeah, and nine straight. Man, and they and they survived it. <laughs> they weathered it out. Uh, I saw Kenzano, uh, John Kenzano, who the Bald Face Truth newsletter. He sent he sent one out, and I've certainly got my um, my antenna up for uh, perceived signs of Washington disrespect in in all cases. But Kenzano, the subject line of his email is "Civil War sets up final Pac-12 drama." Will the Huskies root for dot, 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 Oregon State? And when I saw it, I was like, hell yes. But maybe yes, not for the reason all will. of the Oregon all of the Oregon fans think. Because I guess there's this, and this might be me reading into it. I feel like there's a lot of Duck fans who are like, oh, they're hoping Oregon State wins because they don't, they don't want to see Oregon again. That's not it at all. I just want Oregon to lose. I, I want what will be most painful for you guys. And yeah, the fact that Washington wouldn't play Oregon again and you'd have two losses would be great. But this has nothing to do with like, oh, I don't know if Washington can handle Oregon again. It's more, no, I just want to see continuing duck pain, please. Whatever will make duck fans least happy is what I want on a given week. I think you're voicing the minority opinion there. Everybody else is shaking in their boots. Yeah, I think. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, if Washington's resume were shoddy and you know what, the only, the only way that they're going to be assured of a playoff bid is if they play the highest ranked, most respected opponent possible in the conference championship game, then you'd say like, okay, it's, you know, I, I guess you'd playing Oregon wouldn't be the worst thing. Oregon looks really good. I mean, look, yes. they, they've, they've just absolutely destroyed everybody they've played since Washington. Um, and yet they're two results away. Washington is from instead facing an Arizona team that I think most people would, would expect Washington to beat. Uh, and you know, they beat Oregon, they beat Utah, they beat Arizona, they beat Oregon state. Um, assuming they win the apple cup, they're going to be 12 and oh, they will have mm -hmm. run the table. They will have become the first and last undefeated team in conference play in the Pac-12 era. And by any measure, like, isn't that enough to get into the play? Like, I think that, I think that most would feel like, you know what, you've, you've maybe earned not having to face potentially the best team in the country again and beating them again. So I like, I, I think that it would be a, uh, it would be a worthy a worthy concluding prize to instead face Arizona, even though Arizona is really good and they've been playing really well. And I don't think that would be any kind of pushover. Um, but I think, I think Husky fans would throw a parade down Montlake if, if 
Oregon State beat Oregon and Arizona beat Arizona State and they instead got to play Arizona in Vegas. Yes, but only because for me, it would mean that Oregon doesn't get there. It's yeah, really not. I, and so, like, I, I understand what you're saying. And you very well may be right. The majority of Husky fans may want, there may be a level of self-interest there in not wanting to play Oregon again. Because it's it's much more, Oregon has a much higher chance of beating Washington than Arizona does. But I've never looked at those sort of things in the sense that I don't want Washington to play the best teams. If if Oregon earns its way to the Pac-12 championship game, I'm excited to watch Washington play. And I'm not sort of twisting myself in knots of like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Washington beat them. And as good as Oregon's looked, that's no guarantee that they'll that they'll be that good. Oregon will certainly be favored in that game based on how the lines have gone. But I don't have this fear of it's my, my hopes for Oregon state winning and Arizona winning are primarily driven by the desire to watch Oregon suffer as opposed to me thinking that's the easier path. Because look, if Washington's going to make a run and, and potentially be able to advance in the college football playoff, you, they're going to have to beat a team like Oregon. If 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 they're going to lose to Oregon, and that keeps them out of the college football playoff, like I'll I'll tip my cap to Oregon and say, hey, well played. But I I it's it's interesting to me that there are people that are looking for ways to not play Oregon. Um, I'm not I'm not that worried about. I I'm, I would be more excited to see that game than I would be fearful of of Oregon coming in and routing them. Wouldn't you rather? Washington have to finish its season and compete for a championship having face fa- potentially facing only two playoff caliber teams instead of three because don't your your odds of success kind of decrease at, at some point like I mean it, it's different in a Pac-12 championship game because then you've got a whole month off basically to prepare and and it's not like you're you know boom 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 back to back to back like like Washington did these last three weeks against against three you know pretty good teams, but maybe. But here's the other side of that. What if you beat Oregon twice? What if you the, you you beat them twice and you're the only team to beat them and you and you laid it on them twice? And the first one, they came out feeling like oh we we shot ourselves in the foot. It was at Washington. We missed a field goal. There were questionable fourth down and you beat them again. What now? Like there is an element to that where that would be the ultimate sort of bragging rights. There's never been a year where one of these schools has beaten the other one twice. And if that happened, that would be just delicious. So I get what you're saying of would I rather. And if you take out the possibility of how hilarious I would find it if Duck fans lose the Civil War in the final, because that that would be awesome. If you take out my satisfaction and just say my preference, would I rather taking aside the pain that Oregon fans would would, would experience from not getting to the Pac-12 championship game? Would I rather? I think I'd probably rather play Oregon because I'd like the possibility of beating them twice. And after all of the prolonged suffering that has happened at the hands of Oregon and the single biggest disaster in my sports fandom being that 13-year stretch where Washington couldn't beat them, the idea of concluding the Pac-12 by dusting them twice is is awesome. And if Washington wasn't able to do that, which is obviously, like I said, they're they're not going to be favored in that game, I, I'd sort of say like, okay, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You come at the king, you best not miss. And they they got it in the in in the title game, and they deserve to go to the college football playoff if if that's the case. But at least you go out on your shield. What you're seeing now, though, and I saw Nick Dashel from the Oregonian had the tweet, but I I see that Adam Rittenberg from ESPN kind of quote tweeted it, endorsing it, and um I I would guess that this narrative will pick up some steam. Um, assuming that Washington does finish and, and win the Apple Cup, that because of their schedule, particularly their November schedule, 
should a team that got through that 12 and 0 be in the playoff regardless and i i would think that most years you actually would have a pretty good shot probably not this season just because there are still five undefeated of course there can only be four of those five finish undefeated um and you know there's there's always there's still the alabama factor and the texas factor and obviously oregon would would feel that uh that it would have a a very strong case so i don't know how you uh how you fill four spots without leaving a a one loss washington out in that scenario but you are going to see some I think some some talk among the national media and the folks who discuss these things at at the highest levels, uh, at least media media wise, not committee wise necessarily, but some some suggestion that hey, shouldn't a twelve and zero Washington team be assured of a spot in the playoff, regardless of what happens in this extra championship game that they're playing against a team that they already beat? Yeah. I feel that I lost my right to complain about that when I got excited about Washington going to the Peach Bowl to play Alabama. I I feel that up until in 2016, up until they played Colorado, I really was, I would have told you that my opinion was if Washington wins the Pac-12, if Washington wins their conference, I want to go to the Rose Bowl. Like that's, that's what I want to happen. And for all that you talk about the college football playoff and the excitement of that, I thought it was, I thought it was ruining something that, that I wanted that when you win the conference, you go to the Rose bowl. And I got excited after, after they beat Colorado. I was like, no, I, I want, I want to see him go and play in the playoff. I, I want to see that happen. And I would have been, I would have been bummed if they had not gotten selected for that. So I felt that once you cross that bridge, you basically accept the rules as they're written now, which is that there is a conference championship and that is the gateway to the 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 postseason. And the ultimate prize in the postseason is no longer the Rose Bowl. It's now the college football playoff. And yeah, I, I believe that Washington as a 12-0 and team should be in. But I can also look at how things are setting up and say pretty definitively it won't be. And all of the sort of a complaining and assessments about it are kind of grumpy old men complaining about the way the world used to be, which is sort of par for the course. I, I don't think that argument holds a lot of a lot of weight because this is the system that is in place and Washington has the ability, if it wins out, to get into the college football playoff and just because they might have to beat Oregon twice doesn't mean they should be given some different sort of pathway there be- because of it. I, Yeah, I know people will say that. And in my heart, I believe that Washington should be in there over some of the other teams, even if they were to lose in the Pac-12 championship. But I also can recognize that the way things are set up, it won't happen. I think Washington should go ahead of a one-loss. A one-loss Washington team should go ahead of a one-loss Texas team, but that's clearly not going to be the case. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. Um, on the grounds that if if Washington had lost that game to Oregon, and so their circumstances were were reversed, reversed. you'd be you, you you would absolutely think that Washington deserved to go over Oregon if they beat them in the, in the Pac-12 championship game. So it's always been though that the 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 later loss matters, right? Like the later loss when 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 you're comparing two teams. Like the the lateness of the loss matters. And if Oregon and Washington each beat each other once, Oregon won the last meeting, Oregon should get the nod ahead of them. I, I think that's pretty straightforward to me. And it'll be on a neutral field. That's the other thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Neutral field rather than like literally the most like electric road atmosphere you could conjure up, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think the, um, there's a universe where this season plays out a hundred times and that scenario plays out where, where Oregon beats an undefeated Washington team in the PAC 12 championship where they might both get in. Um, but that's not this, that's not this season. Is that, would it happen if Iowa won the big 10? Well, <laughs> that's uh yeah that could be uh that would be hilarious that I, would be so funny iowa beats I, michigan 12 to 9 in the big 10 championship <laughs> game 
Now, the really awful part of me believes that they would then, the college football, the playoff would then take both Ohio State and Michigan. One lost Ohio State, one lost Michigan ahead of one lost Washington, which probably isn't isn't all that far-fetched. But <laughs> I am going to be rooting for Iowa regardless. The thing, and not to get too far out in front of it, um, Washington's not just playing for a spot in the playoff. They're playing for a spot in the Rose Bowl because you have to assume that the Rose Bowl probably is going to be the two versus three game mm-hmm. um, because the one seed I mean, are we we're, we're going to say it's most likely it's Georgia at this yes. point? Well, the other semifinals, the Sugar Bowl. So Georgia's not, you know, they're not going to take the Rose Bowl over the Sugar Bowl. They'd play in the Sugar Bowl. Um, you know, I don't know if Michigan or Ohio State wound up the one seed somehow. Would even though uh, the Sugar Bowl is closer for their fans, would they choose the Rose Bowl because of some Big Ten tradition affinity? I don't know, but I got it. I think right, like right now, you operate as if that two versus three game is the Rose Bowl, and if so, um, Washington clearly has a path to the three seed, if mm-hmm. if not the two seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if the if the scenario that that you're talking about plays out, and they beat Oregon twice, and they've got two wins over Oregon, they would have potentially, I mean, at least four, maybe five top twenty five wins with two of them coming against the top ten team. They'd have a strong case. For, I mean, they'd, they'd be three without question. Um, they'd have a strong case for number two. If Georgia weren't so dominant and hadn't been so dominant in some of its victories over top 25 teams, in that scenario, a 13-0 and Washington team with those wins, put it that way, if that happens, there will be people suggesting they should be number one. They won't be. That won't happen. Um, but I, I, there's, there's very much a chance for them to be in that 2-3 game and, and not just make the playoff, but play in a playoff game in the Rose Bowl. That's on the table. That'd be pretty wild if it was a Big tw- Big Ten, Pac-12 matchup in the Rose Bowl as a playoff semifinal. That'd be pretty awesome. That'd be a pretty cool... That would be a pretty cool of a... In spite of all my misgivings about how things have played out in the consolidation of college football, that would be pretty awesome. If Georgia and the winner of Ohio State, Michigan, and Washington win out, that's going to happen. That'd be pretty cool. So, just that'd be just pretty throwing cool. that out there. Don't don't know if I uh, could put a statistical probability on that, but uh, that's it's you know here we are. We're going into rivalry week. It's week thirteen, and that is a possibility. So that'd be that'd be pretty pretty fantastic. Week thirteen, it is rivalry week. Uh, we have the Civil War is Friday, um, which will be a, a matchup that is incredibly important for for Washington and looking ahead to what happens. You've also got an Apple Cup that suddenly has incentives on both sides. Our conversation this week with Ian McFarland talks a little bit about what's at stake, not just for the Huskies. Danny, you're an empathetic guy, and I've always appreciated that about you on your radio show and your writing this podcast, every interaction we've had. And I, and I, and I look forward to giving you a hug in Vegas in under two weeks now and um, telling you how much I appreciate that about you. But before we get to Vegas, there's a pretty important game in Seattle on Saturday. And it's taken on a little bit of new spice, a little new intrigue. First, it's, of course, incredibly important for UW's picture and the playoff picture in general, but also Washington State has something to play for. They're fighting for bowl eligibility, and of course they can spoil all of Washington's fun. And now there's a new angle. The game will, in fact, continue. There is going to be a a haze over this game that it may be the last Apple Cup for the foreseeable future. Now we know we're going to get it for at least the next five years and very likely beyond. Does that change the way you look at it? We were both very, very empathetic toward Washington State. And in fact, I was outwardly sad that that Washington State didn't have a landing spot um, and hated the fact that that rivalry was ending. But 
now it's Apple Cup week, and I'm feeling the same sadistic things I normally do, and kind of hope there are some wildly inappropriate cheers coming from the student section, and that UW puts up roughly 700 points, and that I have many opportunities to point out that Cam Ward can't throw. But anyway, just curious your thoughts, <laughs> seeing if your mind is shifted based on the uh, the new news. Go dogs! bring home the Apple Cup, see you all in Vegas. Is this a thing people believe that Cam Ward can't throw? Uh, I, th- I, I haven't he heard that before. I, I think he is. Um, I don't think there's an issue with him throwing. I do. I do wonder. I do wonder about some of the decision making matrix that he has. There's a there's a sort of a, a crazed element to his the way he plays the game, which is super fun to watch. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think it's a question of arm talent because he can sling it. Yeah, I'm a listen. I'm a Cam Ward guy. I'll still, I'll be a Cam Ward guy forever. Because um, he went to the word in Cone Carne. In- <laughs> Yes, uh, only partially. <laughs> so I do think some of the vitriol, maybe not a, a a significant amount, is sucked out of the fact that like this isn't the last one, and mm-hmm. you know you know it's continuing. You know it'll even be back on campuses uh, start in in twenty twenty five after they go neutral field at Lumen in twenty twenty four. But look, I, if. <laughs> I mean, if you're a Wazoo fan who's rightfully pissed at UW for its part in the deterioration of the Pac-12, that still happened and is still happening. And your own future is still unresolved as a result of that deterioration. So, you know, I I don't know that, that the game itself is that big of a deal. I mean, I, I, by the game itself, I mean the series generally, the continuation of the series and the fact that it's now going to be played versus before you weren't sure it was going to be played again. I don't know if that's that big of a deal when it comes to like, I'm a Wazoo fan and, and I hate UW and, and now I hate them even more because of what, what they, you know, their part in, in, in killing the conference essentially. So yeah, I, I still think you'll see the, you'll see the spiciness. It won't be the, like, this is the last time ever spiciness, but I don't, I don't know that that removes a whole lot of that. I can pinpoint the moment in which my sympathy for Washington state started to wane. Um, And there's, I think there's no secret. Like I have profound misgivings about how the PAC 12 collapsed and Washington's role in that and what it means in the long term of college sports. I do feel very bad for the Cougs that they don't have a landing spot. I kind of like the idea that there's going to be a Tupac with Oregon State and Washington State for the next couple of years. I don't know how I feel about Mountain West being folded into the conference, but I also feel that Washington and the rest of the Pac-12 teams lost all right to really have any feelings about that when they bolted. The moment in which my sympathy for the Cougs specifically began to wane was September 23rd at 11.45 p.m. Earlier in that day, there had been a video that circulated of Dan Lanning, Oregon's coach, uh, saying about Colorado, they're chasing clicks, we're chasing wins, rooted in substance. I had made a somewhat snarky response on Twitter saying, now let's go run out there in our 4,346th uniform combination and show them why we're above doing things strictly for attention. A media member, member of the media who works in Portland for one of the Fox affiliates, uh, who is a Wazoo alum, responded to that uh, by saying to me, I enjoy the venom UW fans still have for Oregon when recent events have proven what Beavs and Cougs always knew. They are essentially the same program. I, for one, am glad that they finally decided to get a room. I responded, really appreciate you letting me know this, man. Thanks. Uh, He responded, no problem. I know old money hates new money, but let's not forget what's important, the money. And at that point, and since then, I have felt profoundly less sympathy for the kooks, Christian. Why? Because I'm a petty, small person. And... I I I do feel bad for Washington State about what's going to happen, but I feel less bad now and um, won't feel at all bad 
uh, at the result of whatever occurs on Montlake over the course of this year's Apple Cup. And I'm glad that it's continuing on. I'll be interested to see how long is it does it become a staple because the way scheduling dynamics work, if if Washington is to remain in the Big Ten long term, if that's this is if the current shape of college football is what holds uh, a home and home series with Washington State would mean that's really the only significant non-conference opponent that Washington will play where where they would give up a home game play will be willing to play a home and home with that. But for the next five years, I think that's great. And I, I can't, I, I'm really looking forward to Washington dragging the Cougs this week. What I think is, is going to happen is that, you know, like, like every athletic director around the country, Troy Dannon is going to keep an eye on, okay, in the 12 team playoff era, how much does non-conference matter? And if you're fighting for one of those last at large spots, how much is strength of schedule considered? Are there teams who play? big time home and homes or big time opponents, whether it's a home and home or neutral site or, or whatever, um, are they being rewarded for that? Uh, are they only being rewarded if they win those games? Are they being rewarded for playing well and losing those games over a team that only p- instead played an FCS opponent or a, a bad G five opponent and won by 30, you know? And if the answer is no, um, that's really not that important. And the committee really isn't rewarding, um, you know, as, as it parses those final at large bids, they're not really rewarding the teams that schedule really tough in the non-conference. Then you're not going to see Washington go pursue uh, an SEC home and home or, um, you know, they're, they're in the big 10 now. So they've got the, 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 the traditional opponents you think of is like, Oh, it'd be great if they could get Michigan here in here, Ohio state in here, even Nebraska over the years. Right. Well, that, they're in the same league as those teams, and they play nine conference games. So that that changes things, too. So I, I think it, unless the committee does something in the 12-team era to signal, hey, you know, you really should be trying to have, like, one marquee opponent. Um, and really, like, the only reason... The only reason you'd say that needing a marquee opponent would be in conflict with having Washington State on the schedule is because you would probably need to go on the road to make that happen. Yeah. And you can't you can't go on the road in the non-conference now because you're going to Pullman every other year. And it's just it's a four year contract and well, five years counting the the neutral site next year. And they'll I'm sure they'll they'll evaluate things um, toward the end of that. But um, if, if you feel like you have to go on the road elsewhere in your non-conference then it becomes an issue. Uh, but I don't know that I, I see that becoming an issue. Do you think it matters right now? Because you could make the argument that the reason Florida State has been ahead of Washington is because it did have, it's it scheduled LSU. And no matter what you think about LSU right now, LSU as a non-conference game is a better opponent than what Washington had on its schedule. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it matters that it was non-conference. I think that's just the one top 25 win that the committee yeah. is looking at and saying that's a really impressive win. I think if they didn't have that, um, then what's their resume sure. at all? Right. Yeah. So, but I don't think it's specifically because, hey, we're rewarding Florida State for scheduling a tough team in their non conference. I right. mean, it because it, it, college football is so stupid, you schedule these, these games a decade out. I'm sure Washington thought Michigan State was going to be pretty good these last two years, you know? So, yes, um, but. LSU is a significantly tougher. There, there is, I think there is a little bit of, even if it's not explicitly stated, for Florida State, you don't want to penalize them. They play in a good conference. And because their conference schedule hasn't turned out to be as tough as you thought it would be because of the ACC, they haven't been punished as much for that, in part because they have a really good non-conference game. I, I think there has been, whether, I don't think they would ever say it this way, but in some sense, Florida State's kind of done all it can to have a really good schedule. And the reason that it has a terrible schedule is because the ACC sucked this year. Yeah, but but even then, you're talking about the difference between four and five. Five, whereas yeah, you're right. You're right, you're right. Yeah, The Apple Cup decision ends up being, you know, is, is not being able to schedule a marquee home and home and go on the road to play somebody else at some point going to mean that you're 13 instead of 12. Yeah. So. I was just thinking too, I was like, we're really going to see a test of this when it comes to Texas's consideration. I was like, no, 
that's not true at all because the committee, if it has an opportunity, is going to bend over backwards to get Texas in there with the amount of attention that will come through there. They, it's not going to be – the win over Alabama will be an excuse, not a reason. <laughs> they, they, are, they are looking for an opportunity to get Texas in there. Hey, uh, what was my record picking games last week? Oh, I hadn't looked. I might have neglected this because I was thrown off by it. Did, were, you, were, you, were you unbelievable? Oh, I believe I was five and one. Oh, you were. Oh, tremendous. The only one you missed was USC. Yeah. Nice of them to show up. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now Caleb Williams is getting criticized. I saw Ian Rappaport, who covers the NFL, was comparing Caleb Williams' decision not to have a press conference, not to answer questions after that game, to the fact that Joe Burrow came out and did a press conference on Friday after his season ended. It's like, huh, one of those dudes is getting paid a salary to be the face of the franchise. The other one is a college athlete. Not yeah. sure that's comparable. Not sure that's comparable. Yeah, and well, and one of them just got hurt. I mean, yes. He didn't do anything bad or wrong. He got hurt. You know? Yeah. So a little. Man, uh, coming out with a five and one heater. Five and one heater, including the fighting fishes over Utah. Was that the most surprising result of the weekend? You know, I I wouldn't have been surprised by Utah, like, you know, rising up and, and bouncing back and saying, we're still Utah, damn it, and, and, and winning that game. But they also had effectively been I mean hadn't been mathematically eliminated but effectively eliminated from the conference title race they're they're depleted as hell I mean they're so beat up um Arizona's got everything to play for I I wasn't too surprised you know it was in Tucson it I, I I was I was fairly confident in that pick I was really shocked Arizona State didn't beat Oregon I really thought that was gonna happen I'm dead serious Thought Scadaboo was going to come in and do a number. Kenny Dillingham was going to be on a hot. He was he was going to catch a heater against his former employer. I was bummed that it wasn't more competitive. You were close. You were really close. <laughs> it was only it was only forty two to nothing at halftime. <laughs> God, just just destroyed, just <laughs> waxed, and it was. I was. I was. I thought that was a, USC did UCLA a solid. There was there was part of me that wondered if it was a strategic concession of like we got to keep Chip Kelly in that job. Yeah. We've got we've got to keep Chip there. Like the, a, a win over UCLA isn't going to make that much of a difference for us this year. It's still going to be a crappy season. But if but if they win, they keep Chip Kelly for another year. Let's go ahead and do that. It might have been it. I, I did so after UCLA lost to ASU. Plashke wrote in the LA Times that they need to fire Chip Kelly. And then after UCLA beat USC, he didn't quite write that they need to fire Lincoln Riley. Um, <laughs> But but it was close. Are you serious? He 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 wrote that uh, that Lincoln should be on the hot seat now. Oh, that's crazy. That's nuts. I just think it's. I mean, it kind of. I mean, followed. it's funny if you if you think that a coach should be fired and then that coach turns around and whoops his crosstown rival. I guess it. You know, it it flows. There, it, it, it you go down the chart. It makes sense. That's pretty funny. Uh, that 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 strikes me as a pretty hilarious overreaction, but I enjoy that. Do you want to go through and do picks, uh, or do you want to wait? Do I don't it. think we have lines out, or do we have lines? Uh, I've got some. Okay. Uh, Friday game, Oregon State at Oregon. I've got Oregon minus fourteen. Who you like in that game? I like Oregon. Just think they're rolling. Um, think it's a bad matchup for Oregon State. I just don't think they're di- they're dynamic enough offensively um to uh to get a ton done against Oregon and and that was true that would have been true of Oregon State's offense last year against the Ducks defense this year, but last year Oregon's defense was bad enough that Oregon State could not throw the ball the entire second half and still erase an 18-point deficit. I don't think that uh, Oregon is that kind of team this year. I think uh think they're pretty locked in and uh especially at home and you know and look they they haven't clinched right they're not in the pac-12 title game yet they know they got to go out and win and and so i i I like oregon to cover that go beeves give me the beeves give me the beeves 
think Oregon's going to come back down to earth. This is an entirely with my with 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 my heart and not my head. Come on, Beavs, thirteen and a half they, to to kick them on the way out of the conference. Let's go. That is often how you pick. Yeah, especially when it comes to Oregon, uh, Colorado at Utah. Utah favored by twenty one and a half. Are they really? Yeah, twenty one and a half. Um. Oh well, I guess Shador is out. Or at least he went out against Wazoo. I haven't seen an update on him. Um, yeah, that changes things. Boy, they were just non-functional offensively without him. They sure were. He's pretty good. Gosh. I was thinking that was an insane number. If we're assuming Shadur's out, which I'm guessing that's what that number is based on, um, then yeah, I'm going to take Utah because they they couldn't do anything without no. him. Yeah. Um. Of all the different things that have happened this year at Colorado, the how good Shador Sanders is 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 something that should be recognized because I I didn't know if he was I didn't know he was that kind of quarterback when he when he transferred. I didn't buy into the whole idea of like, oh, he's just going there. He's played because his father or that he was a JUCO level quarterback, which I know I've heard some other people say, but I didn't know he was this good. Um he he is a hell of a quarterback. Um I'm taking Utah as well. Now, the worst name for any rivalry is the is it the Territorial Cup? Arizona at Arizona State. Arizona favored by 11 and a half. Mm, Arizona. Again, I mean, similar thought to Oregon. They're still playing for, I mean, and I just think the the program is in such a positive place right now. It uh it just doesn't track that they would lose this game. Um I think I think they will win by a lot. I'm going to take the fishes as well of all of the different things that they have. You think about the money that Arizona spent on Rich Rod, the money they spent on Kevin Sumlin and just the profile of both of those coaches. And the fact that it's Jed fish who has succeeded in having that is a lesson for observant athletic directors out there. Um, It very seldom pays to get the, the, the once, the once the guy who was the apple of everyone's eyes a couple of years ago, but like sort of the lusters come off. And you're like, well, we'll get him on the rebound. That generally has not worked out all that well in college football recently. No. Taking the fighting fishes. Next up, the Apple Cup. Huskies favored by 16 and a half. That, that's so funny. I think somebody asked me for an early prediction, like right after the Oregon State game. And I, I think I said Washington 45 to 28. So that's. That's covering by half a point. I guess Look at you. I guess I'll go with that. Um, I'm kind of just waiting for them to put a, a full game together offensively, um, and I I think it's more likely to happen than not happen. So I you know maybe Wazoo rediscovered you know got some juice back by by thumping Colorado, but I, I will take Washington to cover. Uh, my prediction for this game is pain. My prediction is pain. Washington's going to cover. Go riding into the championship game on a high note. Notre Dame at Stanford. Uh, Irish favored by 25. Um, 25. 25 is an really awful bad. lot. They've been terrible. Yeah. Mm. I'll take Notre Dame just based on recent results. I If you told me a few weeks ago, that was going to be the number I probably would have liked Stanford covering, but it just feels like they've gone in, in the different direction since uh, since beating the Cougs. That has been true. I'm going to take I'm going to take Stanford there, just for just for just for the laughs on it, just for the laughs. Uh, and then we have the UC battle, Cal at UCLA, UCLA favored by eight and a half. I'm going to take Cal. They're playing for a bowl game. They've figured some things out offensively. UCLA just won, so it doesn't make sense they would win again because they just kind of haven't been that that sort of team. So we go with Cal. They used up their win. <laughs> I'll take UCLA. I believe that the somnambulant, somnambulant Chip Kelly has been aroused from his stupor and is going to finish this this season on a high note. Um, God, I'm just I'm cracking up thinking at the idea of like. USC, Lincoln Riley being on the hot seat. That is a tough, 
Man, remember when when Jen Cohen took that job, which again, I have no hard feelings. I think Jen did a great job. I totally understand why she would. That is that is a tough that is a tough place to be the AD. That is a difficult AD job. Is that Lincoln Riley starts this season in the second year? Everybody thought it was like the home run hire. He's going to go to the NFL, and now you've got people there thinking like maybe you need to fire him. He needs to be on the hot seat. What the hell's going on here? Yeah. I was digging through uh, former coworkers' responses to the Kalen DeBoer hiring, some of whom were less than enthused by his hiring. Uh, to to look back at just how. I don't was there anybody that was jumping up and down saying this is a home run? Um, I think people were relatively pleased. I think uh, you know, everybody wanted Matt Campbell. That was the big name. That like Matt yes. Campbell would have would have been the A plus. Um that would have been, you know, that would have been like, wow, Washington Washington over, you know, overachieved on this. Um but I think Kalen DeBoer had kind of been accepted as like the most ideal, realistic candidate. So people were not upset about it. But in comparison to USC getting Lincoln Riley, it was like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's what a home run looks like. So funny how perception, yeah. perception changes. Also, Iowa State, what they went, they go four and eight last year. And they're six and five this year after that loss to Texas. Yeah, it's uh it's been a bit of a rough go uh, ever since then. So I think Washington fans are pleased with Kalen DeBoer. I think they're happy with the hire. He's a home run. It's a program changing. You think about what Washington's gone through. They've So they had to fire Jimmy Lake midway through his second season. They've had their conference, the two leaders of the conference bail on him. Then their conference capsized. Their eight athletic director left. And they're now going to... a a bigger conference where they're going to have half the media rights deal. If, if Kalen DeBoer wasn't so good, this would be a brutal stretch for Washington. And instead what's been one of the most tumultuous times has been one of their most successful. It's incredible. Enjoy your, uh, your prime rib or your Turkey. Uh, if you settle for the worst of the holiday meats, which is Turkey, uh, objectively speaking. Um, I don't know. I, can we just make just just make whatever you want for Thanksgiving? Make your favorite food for Thanksgiving. Why do we force turkey upon ourselves? Why do we do this? Turkey is the best way. It's the best way to feed a large amount of people. Yeah, okay. I get the complaint. I get the complaints about turkey. They're going to be 80 members of the O'Neill clan and O'Neill extended clan in Yosemite. It is impractical to have any other meat other than turkey to be served on Thanksgiving. That's fair. For for those of us who's I guess uh, unless we had a whole hog. <laughs> yeah. For those of us whose holiday includes fewer than eighty people though, I think I think thanks I just, I'm just not a turkey guy, is what I'm saying. Um but look, enjoy enjoy your holiday meat, whichever you choose. Enjoy the game, enjoy the weekend, and we will talk to you next week.